10 ways to get free stuff to flip for a profit. What's up, what's up, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because building income streams you control is the best way to recession-proof your life. One of my favorite side hustles, one that we return to time and time again, is buying low and selling high. This is the basic business model of Amazon, Walmart, pretty much every store in the history of stores. You buy inventory at one price, you resell it for a higher price. It works great, but you still gotta buy that initial inventory. What if you really wanted to start with super low upfront costs? It turns out there are a lot of ways to get free stuff to resell, and I wanna walk through 10 of those methods in today's show. Your listener-only bonus this week is my list of the best items to flip for a profit. These are the ones to be on the lookout for. You can download that for free at the show notes for this episode. Just follow the link in the episode description and you'll get right over there. Now, these ideas are organized roughly in order of complexity because where a lot of people start in their flipping adventures is with the inventory they already have, the stuff that's collecting dust in the attic or the garage. I mean, we cleaned out probably... 700 bucks worth of stuff from the garage last year. And it feels great. You're decluttering, you're recouping some cash at the same time. But at a certain point, that well runs dry and you got to go out and find some more inventory. Which brings me to idea number one, get free stuff from Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace. This is Ryan Finley from way back on episode 72. He's talking Craigslist here, but the same tactics I think are going to apply to whatever today's classifieds marketplace of choice is. There's so much gold on the free section, especially in, in bigger cities where there's lots of money. But here, I know for a fact, there's hundreds and hundreds of people sitting on there all day long hitting refresh. <laughs> the way I first found that out was three years ago, somebody gave away a broken LCD TV, like a 42-inch LCD TV. Okay. And I was the first to respond. I said, I'll take it. I can come over and pick it up right now. Uh, what's your address? And then a couple minutes later, the guy responded and said, okay, here's my address. And I drove straight over there. By the time that I'd gotten to the guy's place, he'd gotten 95 emails. Oof. And that was that was just within 25 minutes. Wow. Of it of the ad going up. And he, and here's the thing. That's 90 whatever 95 emails and there's a, a lot of a lot of the people that do it regularly aren't going to email after like the first 5 10 minutes cuz they know that once that ad's up for five even a couple minutes on the free section, it's gone. Okay. So it was still getting tons and tons of emails long afterwards. And anyways, all I have to say, that LCD TV, I sold it to a, a TV repair guy a couple of days later for almost 100 bucks. And, you know, if you combine the value of all the items that are given away on the free section every day, it's, it's pretty incredible. One of the reasons I don't spend a lot of time on the free section is just because you end up all over the place. Like my house would look like a would look like a... <laughs> A pawn shop. I mean, I'd have couches, crazy furniture, appliances, like, and there has to be a place to store all this stuff. And, and all those different items, they sell at different rates. So you might get a couch that'll take a month to sell or, you know, two weeks or something. And you have to sit on it, like literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have, yeah. Room and <laughs> you'd have to use it for a couple weeks. Yes, yeah, so there's, um, um, there's some gold to be had, but competition is, uh, is stiff. You got to be really quick on the uh, trigger finger on that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that always fascinating me. It's like, well, here's a, here's a like a source of inventory that's has like a zero cost of goods sold, like on your line items. Like, yeah. there's, that's that's an amazing margin if you could have that in any business. But yeah, here's here's a one more real quick tip with that because it is it's really hard to beat everybody. You can't like if you if you focus on it, you can become the fastest person. So that that being said, if you're not the fastest person, 
decide how much that item's worth to you. So if somebody's giving away a bike that needs uh, a new tire because it's flat and it's a nice bike, they're giving it away for free. Shoot them an email saying with the amount that you'd be willing to give them in the subject of the email. So say, I would love to have this bike. I will give you $20 for it. You know, it's an amazing thing will happen. Like you will often get the item, even if you were like the 30th person to respond oh, because okay. it communicates to the, the person giving the item away that you value it more than anyone else. And they, and then they appreciate the token of um, you being willing to give them a little bit of, of money for it. So I've gotten a ton of things like that. And it's just because, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to give money for this because it's worth that much to me. So, okay. That makes sense. That's number one, your free items listings on Marketplace or Craigslist, but you got to strike fast when they come up and maybe even considering focusing on a specific product niche. Free product method number two is dumpster diving. Tiffany Butler is known as Dumpster Diving Mama on TikTok and Instagram, and she told Yahoo News she made around $30,000 in 2018 just selling her dumpster finds. Examples of treasures she's found in the trash include a $3,000 armoire, brand new unopened makeup, a Michael Kors handbag, and hundreds of pounds of unopened pet food. The mom of four from Texas uses platforms like Facebook Marketplace, Mercari, and Poshmark to resell the items she finds that has value. As far as strategy, I'd like to think the dumpsters behind higher-end stores in more affluent neighborhoods would probably be your best bet, but Tiffany stressed that consistency is key. Quote, I just go every day, and it's a hit or miss. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. It's part of the fun. End quote. Be sure to follow along at Dumpster Diving Mama and DumpsterDivingMama.com for more. I first came across Tiffany in 2019, and she is now closing in on 3 million followers over there on TikTok. So lots of people interested in the dumpster diving side hustle. That's the second way to score some free inventory to resell. Number three is reverse logistics reselling. So you know how every direct-to-consumer brand has some sort of uh, risk reversal, money-back guarantee. It's designed to get people off the fence and get them ready to buy. And you often see it with mattress brands. You'll hear them talk about, you know, the 100-night sleep trial or your money back or furniture brands. Hey, try it out in your home. And if you don't like it, we'll haul it away and give you your money back. Well, those companies can't really turn around and resell that stuff as new anymore because it's not. And they can't really resell it as used themselves without either um, because they're going to undercut or cannibalize their primary business. And that's why they turn to companies like ShareTown, a reverse logistics specialist, to help them deal with those return requests. Now, in turn, ShareTown dispatches local reps, often side hustlers, to uh, go and pick up these bulky items, clean them up, and then list them for resale as individuals and to make it easy and attractive for those reps. They only have to pay for the inventory after it sells, making it another way to get some risk-free product. That's kind of the beauty about ShareTown is they're fronting our inventory. We only have to buy our supplies and supplies for us is about $60. We buy the plastic and the tape to wrap these items and be able to keep them from weather. So that's our upfront cost. Aside from gas and mileage, we don't get reimbursed for that. Sure, but we sure. don't have to pay for inventory until it is sold. 
Okay, let's talk about that work. Maybe walk yeah. me through a typical transaction. So you get this notification or this mattress pickup is assigned to you. You say, okay, I'm going out to Scottsdale. My husband and I, we've got a pickup truck, a big SUV or like a trailer sort of thing. Like, let's talk, yeah. walk me through the logistics here. Yeah, so we personally use a truck. A lot of people use minivans, SUVs. We use a, a truck. So when we get our item, we'll schedule them out and we'll usually plan on two to three pickups per trip. He'll usually go out and pick up these items and then he brings them back. And some need a little bit more TLC than others, but we'll clean and sanitize them and then we'll flip them. So ShareTown provides pictures for us, but we also are able to take our own. So I think that's a huge important part of selling is making sure it looks good. It's good lighting things like that. The longer you do this, the more comfortable you are with each item and the knowledge you have in the brands and things like that. And so I'll have a conversation with the customer and let them know, answer their questions. Sometimes they want to come and check out the item or they're just like, Hey, when can you deliver it? And so whatever happens, we'll go deliver that mattress or item. And then once we get paid via Venmo or cash or, you know, all the different options you can receive payment nowadays, um, once a week, we will pay ShareTown for all of the items that we sold that week. Okay. So it's on you to manage the profit margin or manage the spread there. So let's say, so you go out um, and you've batched these things, you know, I'm going to this area. So I'm going to pick up two or three uh, in the evening. You bring them home, you clean them up, photograph them, list them on marketplace on mm-hmm. offer up on Craigslist, like yeah, wherever. Exactly. Is there a price floor that you know that that you have to pay for this inventory once it sells like um and, and yeah. so you have to kind of mind your markups on top of that yep so share towns they've created a minimum list price for areas like phoenix where there's you know 15 plus of us within a five-hour radius of each other so they've they've created a minimum list price that we are required to list in, and then you're provided with the amount that you owe to ShareTown. So you'll see the margin that you'll be able to make, and you'll be able to say, okay, I want to make at least this much on this mattress or item, and I'll say, hey, if you come pick it up, I can take fifty dollars off. My husband and I we average about two fifty ish per item. We're higher inventory reps, and so if we're kind of building up to the max, then we'll be like, okay, let's just focus on turning over. We'll we'll make a hundred to 150 bucks per item and just get our inventory turned over. You can learn more about ShareTown through my referral link at sidehustlenation.com slash ShareTown. And I'll also link up my detailed review about how it all works in the show notes for this episode. Free inventory method number four is print on demand. Now, I consider print-on-demand kind of a hybrid product business because you're selling physical goods, but you never really have to see them or touch them. You don't have any physical inventory to hold. You're just uploading digital designs, which makes it a super low overhead business to get started with. This is Heather Johnson from episode 520 on how she thinks about pricing this free inventory business. I try to generally price my items with that 30 to 40% profit margin area. But generally for t-shirts, I price with about $10 profit. But then usually I'm running a 15 to 20% off sale on my Etsy store. So that kind of factors into the equation. So I almost do for Printify, for example, 
I usually sell the Bella and Canvas 3001 t-shirt and that goes for about eight to $9 on Printify. But because of the new boosted Etsy transaction fee, it's 6.5%. And then also factoring in, you know, if I'm paying for free shipping for that customer, all that. So uh, it's $4 for free shipping that I pay on my side if the customer qualifies for the free shipping. So on my store, I do free shipping over $35 order total. So if they hit that threshold, then I give free shipping. So, but generally (laughs) to break it down quickly here is the Printify, they charge $8. And then I sell my t-shirts generally for $10 more than that. So I sell it on Etsy for $18. Etsy takes the 6.5% transaction fee from the $18. So, um, and usually that estimates almost about a dollar or slightly under a dollar they take. So profit on that is generally about nine, eight to $9. So per t-shirt, which is really nice. And then minus the $4 in shipping, if they have ordered over 35. Yep. That's kind of a cool way to do it. Like, yeah, there was a big push a couple of years ago for Etsy. Everybody needs free shipping all the time. But it's like, well, you know, unless you're on Prime, not even Amazon has free shipping all the time. There's got to be an order threshold here. Otherwise, we're, <laughs> we're just going backwards. So thanks for breaking that down. Yeah, that's that's helpful because it's like, well, there's, there's always fees. Everybody's going to take their little piece of this. I wanted to ask on, so if I have products for teachers and Nurse and nurses and engineers and dog lovers, and also St. Patrick's Day. And is like, is this all under one conglomerate Etsy storefront, or is there like a separate niche store for each of these things? No, it's all under one store. I was in between opening up different stores, but I, for certain product types, I found that, you know, if you're selling mugs, for example, doing sp- multiple niche mug stores really works. And same goes for t-shirts and sweatshirts. I've seen at least really profitable Etsy stores that focus on one niche though, but they'll branch out into different product types as well. I've seen that as an idea, like bridal gift stores that sell mugs, tumblers, t-shirts, sweatshirts. I've seen like robes. There's so many different things that you can sell uh, with print on demand. So... Okay. Yeah. But serving that one niche versus you've kind of gone, you've gone a little bit broader and say, look, you know, these are all my style of design, but we're going to serve a bunch of different audiences under one storefront. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I've really focused on is just doing one design for all the niches that I sell in. And it's just worked because it makes the design process much quicker. It makes the uploading to Printify, then pushing to my Etsy storefront, really easy and streamlined, just kind of replacing my design templates with a certain phrase and then going from there and even taking that and putting that on a different product, like a mug or a sweatshirt, a hoodie. There's just so many different products that you can kind of replicate the same thing for that people still like and want to buy. So again, you can learn more about Heather's business in episode 520. Other similar models I might include here would be printables and digital products on Etsy or ebooks or paperback books or paperback journals on Amazon KDP. And the other advantage here is you can create something once and sell it over and over again, which is in contrast to some of the physical inventory businesses where once it's gone, it's gone and I got to go find something else to sell. 
Hey, entrepreneurs, we know that anyone with a side hustle loves finding new ways to save. So if your business takes you on the road, sign up for a free membership with Hertz Business Rewards. Work trips, client meetings, industry conferences, with Hertz Business Rewards, you'll save at least 20% every time you rent a car. And you'll save on more than just the daily rate. Members earn credits redeemable towards free rental days. It's also free to add an additional driver if any additional coworkers come along. And for those Gen Z entrepreneurs out there, no young renter fees. Plus, sign up for Hertz Business Rewards today and earn three times credits during your first 90 days. So whether you're traveling for a side hustle or a main hustle, join for free at Hertz.com slash business rewards. Applies to base rate, taxes, fees, and options excluded. Additional terms and exclusions apply. Visit Hertz.com slash business rewards to learn more. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Free inventory idea number five is eBay consignment sales. Hi, this is Jamie, and I run the Broad Jam eBay store, where I specialize in collectible fashion dolls. It all started in 2005 when I decided to sell a few personal belongings on eBay, one of which was an old framed sketching that I had picked up years prior at a flea market for $35. It ended up selling auction style for $700. I was flabbergasted, and the next day, as I shared my excitement with some coworkers, one of them asked if I would be interested in helping them sell some dolls. It sounded easy enough, so I agreed, and a couple of weeks later, they loaded me up with about a dozen dolls and gave me specific instructions on how to list them on eBay. Undressing the dolls and listing their outfits separately, starting everything out at $9.99, and running the auctions for five days. I was astonished the night that all of the auctions ended. Almost everything sold for between $100 and $150, some items for much more. Both me and my coworker were thrilled with the outcome and thus began my dolly side hustle. My coworker had a vast doll collection, so this kept me busy for quite some time, selling 20 or so items on a weekly basis. If you're a serious doll collector, you know other doll collectors. And soon I was being introduced to others who were interested in having me sell for them too. After about a year and a half, I was making enough money to where I felt comfortable quitting my job. I started selling more items each week to bring in a full-time salary. And to this day, it remains my main source of income. 
I charge my clients a 37% commission, which covers all eBay and merchant fees, photography, listing the items, and getting them shipped out once sold. The buyer of the item always pays the shipping cost. My average annual gross sales is around 350000 although last year, in 2019, I had a record-breaking year with gross sales at 480000 I meet a need within the doll community by doing all of the work to get rid of the dolls they no longer care for and turning them into extra cash to purchase the newer dolls that they covet. Many doll collectors who have bought from my eBay store over the years are now turning to me to help them minimize or liquidate their own collections for various reasons. In the beginning, I kept my identity very private and did not do any type of marketing or use social media. My clientele grew over the years solely by word of mouth. But in 2013, I created a website and a Facebook page to make it easier for new clients to find me and to allow my older clients and customers a chance to get to know me a little better. At that time, I also jokingly dubbed my cat, Henry, as my CEO. I used a photo of him as my eBay profile picture and started sharing photos and videos of him with my followers on Facebook. About a year and a half ago, I started sharing bits and pieces of my story on how I got into this business by including a small paragraph within each week's auction listings. The response has been surprising and heartwarming. Me and my cat, Henry, have become like a family to so many of my customers and clients. I'm very happy and content with how well my business is doing financially. I really don't have a desire to grow my business in terms of sales and or the amount of inventory that I move. I am finding that the impact from the way that I have been connecting with my customers and clients is more valuable and rewarding than growing my business monetarily. And it affords me extra free time to do volunteer work in my community. I hope to continue to connect on a deeper and more personal level and perhaps put all of my writings into a book one day. I'm also considering having a doll made in my likeness that will come with a little Henry the cat. I love it, Jamie. Thank you so much for sharing that. eBay brokering, kind of like your own little virtual consignment business, 37% fee off the top. Very low risk to get started. If you do take action on this one or any of the ideas in the episode, definitely let me know. Number six is consignment events or flash sales. In episode 486, Megan Church described starting pineapple consignment as an events-based business where she would spend months sometimes organizing the venue, curating inventory, and then marketing the event, which was a lot of fun, even if the first run of it was only modestly profitable. But an interesting thing happened is that she developed this reputation in town for finding interesting items, which led to the next stage of her free inventory business. But it sounds like you've made this transition to doing this online with almost no overhead. And this sounds appealing to me. So if I'm looking around and I'm, you know, I, I got to imagine just in our neighborhood, there's a ton of people who probably similarly to your network have stuff that they want to get rid of, but it's a pain to put it on Craigslist, Marketplace, OfferUp, eBay, wherever. Yeah. And like, okay, if somebody else wants to take this pain away from me and I maybe I find them on local Facebook groups or I find them on Nextdoor or whatever mm-hmm. and say like, I'll, I'll do that for you. I'll sell it. I'll take this 70-30 split. 
Yeah. What is that? I mean, was, was that the pitch? Like, tell me about this uh, transition to online and, and the Instagram growth that maybe fueled that. Obviously, COVID was a big catalyst. I was like, you know, I still want to keep up this business. And at first, my online sales were, hey, I just want to stay relevant while we wait this out, right? Because that was the plan originally was, oh, it's only going to be a couple of months. And so I thought, well, I'll just sell stuff online in between so that I stay relevant and keep my audience growth up and all of that. And then it kind of ended up working out really well. So the, the general process was people would send me pictures and measurements and all that kind of stuff through a Google form. And then I would call through all of the applications and pick, you know, 30 to 50 items. And then I would create graphics on Canva that had the price and the measurements and a couple of pictures and all that kind of stuff. So each item got one graphic on my Insta story. And then I would put together like a sneak peek image and post that and promote it and all that kind of stuff. And then on, you know, most of the time it was Thursdays at two because my kids were napping and we were all home. And so I would drop it during nap time and then people would just respond, you know, sold or I want this or I want more information. And it was just first come, first serve. And so it was labor intensive on the direct messages side of things. But I just kept yeah. I just kept Excel sheets and it and it really wasn't that hard. You know, you just answer messages in the order you receive them and I would have wait lists for each item. So if somebody already claimed it, but you wanted it, then you knew that, you know, you were next on the list. So people were rewarded by being on time. Okay. That way it's kind of fair for everybody. You know, nobody's sneaking in under the radar. And that was one thing that I found was people would get frustrated if they felt like it wasn't a fair process, you know, because at a shop, it's like you show up and you see the item and you buy it. You're not worried about somebody buying it next door to you, you know, so... Then the people would pay in advance full price on Venmo. Um, I would kind of hold the money in escrow because um, one of the things that's annoying about Facebook Marketplace is, you know, how do you get paid and do you do cash? And it was COVID and all the things. And people was don't... Was this actual escrow or is this kind of just your default? Like, I'm not going to go out and spend this money. It yet. was my Venmo balance. <laughs> it was <Okay>. not... <laughs> It was not actual escrow. I just use that as a term because people understand it. Sure, sure. Yeah. So that way, if you know you pay up front, you're incentivized to pick up the item as soon as possible. And then if you know, I so then I once the item was paid for, I would connect the buyer and the seller through Instagram direct messages. So it would be a group message between me and the buyer and the seller. So I would monitor the process you know, making sure everybody's being cool and nobody's being shady and all that kind of stuff. And then they would arrange a time and a place to pick up or drop off. And I never even saw the item most of the time. You never had to touch the inventory. That's so cool. I never even touched it. And so, you know, there was a few times where somebody shows up and it's not at all what they thought. And so they get their money back and it's not a big deal. You know, there's, it's no skin off my back. And I had a growing list of people that I either did not sell from or did not sell to just because they made somebody uncomfortable or so it was a, it was a safe environment for people because I curated a community that behavior was monitored. And so it was similar to Facebook marketplace in model, but I took out the pain points, which was 
meeting a stranger. Nobody knows what's going on. You know, I, I kind of, me being in the group chat with people, you know, kind of made people be on their best behavior. And so it kind of worked out for everybody. Um, I never really had a situation where I had to be rude to somebody, you know, it, it was just like, Hey, you know, this was broken. So I'm going to give the person their money back and you can figure out what you want to do with that thing. You know, I, it's not sitting in my garage, so I don't have to worry about it. It's sitting in their garage, you know? Um, so for, I guess it was a year or a year and a half. That's all I did was I did one or two sales a month of just Instagram story sales. And then you know, after a few days, you discount the items and I would have an, a highlight with available pieces. So, you know, after the 24 hour story cycle, everything gets deleted. So I would leave things in my available highlights so people can come back and shop whenever they're ready and all of that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at, so this is a uh, at pineapple consignment on Instagram. Yeah. And you know, you're a little over 6,000 followers at this point, which in, I mean, I don't want to make light of that at all because that's like 6,000 actual right. people who are, it sounds are very local, very engaged. Yeah. But in the world of Instagram, like it's not a huge following. No, it is um, not. <laughs> it is a humble, I have a humble little page for sure. Really impressive what Megan's built. Again, you can check her out at Pineapple Consignment in episode 486 for our full interview. Free inventory method number seven is the Flip app. It's F-L-Y-P. This is a new way to source inventory if you are a professional seller of kind of like vintage clothing or just fashion items in general, clothing, shoes, accessories. And how it works is uh, as a seller, you go in and can you bid on lots, they call them lots, bundles of products from Flip members, resellers, you know, people who have stuff to get rid of, but they don't want to really do the selling themselves. So you bid on those, you share what you think the items should sell for and the commission percentage you're going to charge in exchange for selling them. Now, typical commission rates on Flip are 30 to 50%, but you got to keep in mind that you, you want to bake in your eBay fees or your other marketplace fees out of those earnings. So just something to, to factor in. Again, this is more for like the clothing niche as an alternative to going out to thrift stores or yard sales, garage sales, and trying to find onesie twosie pieces to resell. Like here's a way to get a bunch of inventory all at once and have it be done kind of in a risk-free way. Again, so my referral link for that is sidehustlenation.com slash flip, uh, F-L-Y-P, worth checking out if you're in the clothing niche. Free inventory idea number eight is estate sales and auctions. So I connected with a side hustle show listener who specializes in estate sales, and I hope to get him on the show this year because I thought this was a really interesting, you know, quote unquote, free inventory business model. How it works is he goes out and connects with local realtors because they are the lead fountains in this business, the connection hubs that could provide a steady stream of customers. We talked about, you know, who are the lead fountains going to be in your business. In any case, the realtors, they've got a vested interest in getting inventory and items cleared out of the houses so they could get them staged and sold and go out and collect their own paycheck. Now, how the estate sale side hustle was explained to me was that the organizer is going to take 25% of everything that sells and often is going to go out and put these items on, or at least the most interesting items, on some online auction network so they reach a wider audience of buyers. And then he also tacks on a 15% fee to the buyer. So if there's a $100 item, he's going to earn $25 from 
the seller, and then the buyer ends up paying one fifteen for it after the buyer fee. So the estate sale organizer is earning $40 in total for helping sell this $100 item that they didn't have to buy up front. Now, this one obviously takes a lot of work in organizing the inventory and prepping it for sale, but you can kind of see how it would pay off pretty nicely if the house has 10 grand or 20 grand worth of stuff in it. So that's uh, number eight on this list, estate sales and auctions. Number nine is pallet flipping. And this side hustle was described to me as the middleman method, essentially taking business byproducts like pallets or other shipping materials and playing matchmaker between buyers and suppliers. And sometimes you can even score inventory for free. You know, a lot of companies need our help. They're hoping that someone's going to walk through that door to ask them how they can help them. And in the business, like John says, a matchmaking business, they need our help really, really bad. And when you go to talk to these companies, that's when you realize, oh, they have a problem and you can come in as a problem solver. And the funny thing is, Nick, these two companies, they may be literally a few blocks, one or two blocks away from each other. Well, why don't they just communicate and help each other out? But they don't, you know, and that's when we come in, we make that match, magic happens, so to speak. So it's happened to me too, and I'll share this with you if I may. Um, I had a company reach out and say, you know, we need... 200 pallets and i said okay at the time i had you know i still have my van i had a cargo van i couldn't fit like 30 in it so i told them i could get in the, the 200 i had the 200 but i can okay. only deliver 30 at the time so what i did was i delivered the first 30 and then okay let's say uh the company i delivered to was in building a and then you have building b and then building c building c had over like 440 pallets, right? And then company A needed 200. So as I was leaving company A going and right to building C, there's all these pallets that they need. So I just stopped there and, and, and you know, asked and they're like, well, go ahead, help yourself out. <laughs> so I load up my van, right, <laughs> I load up the van right there and turn around and came back and drop off those pallets and the company was like, wow, that was really fast. <laughs> I said, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so, I told him, I said, okay, look, give me another like 10 or 20 minutes and I'll be back. And I okay. went back there and load up another, um, another 30. But this time I can't go, I can't just drive back and make it out of here. So I had to go around the building and actually park the van, wait like a few more minutes and then come around. That's how crazy it was. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I made, that was two grand in uh, 45 minutes wow and i was just yeah i was i was literally blown away by that whole uh, uh experience to make this matchmaker for 45 minutes to make two thousand dollars is it common to get inventory for free just people trying to get rid of this stuff it was and to an extent it's still this but it's getting a little bit tighter companies that used to give it give it to you for free they are now trying to get into the market as well were there any types of locations or industries that you targeted early on? Yes. So there are companies around that they receive a lot of pallets every day with their products. And so those are the companies that target because, for example, if company A has receiving, you know, a thousand pallets a day, so I just go there and then what I do is I duplicate whatever that company is because every company always have a competition. So I always go to their competitor as well because they will have the same amount of pallet, if not more. Okay. And that's how I source my pallet. Okay. And then on the 
buying side, what did you find effective there? Oh man, Facebook, the power of social media is insane. I mean, I get buyers from California. I get buyers from uh, Chicago. I get buyers from everywhere, um, just from a Facebook post. That was Varney Sambola from episode 515, com is where you can find him. For more on the specific side hustle, you can check out our brief episode, again, 515, or you can go way back in the archives. John Wilker was on episode 274 talking about his pallet flipping business. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A. ANDS.com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. To bring it home, number 10 on this list is dropshipping. And the reason dropshipping is number 10 is probably the most complex here. comes in a lot of different flavors. The specific type that I have in mind here is what might be called high-ticket dropshipping. In broad strokes, dropshipping is where you're selling a product on behalf of a manufacturer or supplier, but you don't touch the inventory. When you make the sale, you go and then buy it at you know your wholesale rate or your pre-negotiated rate. You sold it at retail. They ship it to... Uh, your customer on your behalf, you don't have the inventory risk of having purchased it on speculation upfront, and you don't have to deal with the storage and shipping logistics either. Here's Rene Delgado from episode 294 talking about his niche selection process, which ultimately ended up with him starting a dropshipping store for commercial inflatables, like these big bounce houses. You know, what, what I did to start out during the niche selection process was I made a list of like 150 various niches and they varied in criteria, but primarily centered on, Hey, the product's got to be more than 500 bucks. 
It's got to be dropship friendly. It's got to be hard to find in stores. And it's got to have more than 20,000 unique searches in Google every single month. So with that criteria, I kind of started to create a list. It took me a couple of weeks. I got down to 150. And then I started narrowing down really just by purchase price. Obviously, the higher, the better. And then unique searches. And then ultimately, also looking at trends and seasonality and also the cost of advertising. So how much was I going to have to spend per click to advertise these products? Using that criteria, I narrowed it down to three items and ultimately selected bounce houses. Okay. So you can estimate the CPC advertising or the pay-per-click advertising with the Google keyword planner, yes? Correct. Okay. And when you say dropship friendly, what do you mean by that? Because these things have got to weigh hundreds of pounds. Like That doesn't seem very shipping friendly in general. I don't know about dropshipping. What I mean by dropship friendly is basically, can I establish a relationship with the manufacturer in which I would spend the capital to do all of the front end legwork for them? So build a website, offer their products for sale, and really just drive marketing from a paid standpoint, an SEO standpoint. Can I pitch that to the manufacturer and get them to drop ship product from them directly to the end customer? So the way it works is I'll sell a product. I don't house the product. Um, I don't have a warehouse or anything. So I sell the product to the customer at full retail value. I then contact the manufacturer, submit a PO at wholesale cost, and then the manufacturer ships the product directly to the customer on my behalf. It's finding manufacturers that are willing to operate on a similar structure. Do they advertise the fact that like they're willing to do that? Or is that kind of you've got to make some calls and say, hey, this is the setup I'm considering doing? Would a few extra sales a month be appealing to you? Here's how it would work. Yeah, most of the time, I mean, you've got to put in the working and actually pick up the phone and call these guys and kind of value proposition them. Some of them do. And you can tell uh, really quickly if you go to like their website they'll have like a link that says apply for a dealer application. And that lets you know right away, yeah, these guys are willing to, you know, set you up as a dealer, distributor, wholesaler. The other guys, you've got to give them a call and you've got to get in touch with the right person and basically tell them what it is that you're trying to do, establish a relationship, and hopefully they say yes. They don't always say yes, (laughs) but enough of them do that, you know, it allows you to to create the store. And I imagine you need to have a critical mass. Would you want to build something around if you just had one or two suppliers? Ideally, no. Okay. You'd want to diversify. I think on on like the bounce house store, I don't have a crazy amount of suppliers. I think I've got like six suppliers, seven suppliers, something like that. But the more you can get, the better. Rene went on to explain that he typically aims for 12 to 15% profit margins, meaning for every $1,000 worth of product he sells, 120 to 150 of that will flow through to his bottom line. Lots of work up front to develop the storefront, to develop the supplier relationships, to understand you know driving paid traffic, but a viable business model nonetheless. One thing to consider here is how are you going to differentiate yourself from the other dropshippers selling the same product from the same suppliers at the same price? Are you going to compete on design? You're going to compete on customer service? You're going to compete on 
your marketing or targeting, like the customers that you specifically serve. In any case, episode 294, if you want to go back and check that one out, really interesting episode. Those were my 10 methods of scoring free inventory to resell for a profit. To recap, we had number one, free listings, free item listings on Craigslist, Facebook, Marketplace, wherever. Number two was dumpster diving. Number three was ShareTown, becoming a reverse logistics reseller. Number four was print on demand. Again, with the advantage of, hey, I can create something once, I can sell it over and over again under that model. Number five was eBay consignment, maybe even best to build a reputation in a certain niche. Number six was consignment events and flash sales. Maybe, hey, I can help my neighbors sell some stuff that they have sitting around because they don't want to deal with it. Number seven was the Flip app, F-L-Y-P, specifically for clothing and accessories there. Number eight was estate sales and auctions. Number nine was pallet flipping or selling other industrial byproducts. And number 10 was drop shipping or high ticket drop shipping. If there were any free inventory ideas that I missed, I would love to hear them. I love the different creative ways that people are getting it done. I would love to add them to this list. You can let me know in the comments for this episode. You can let me know by email, nick at sidehustlenation.com will come straight to me. I'm at nloper on Twitter and Instagram. Now, as I was recording this, I realized there's another couple popular, you know, quote unquote, free inventory strategies. The first is in the real estate world. And that's wholesaling. And the idea there is to find a distressed property, a motivated seller. You get the property under contract for a fixed price. And then you quickly flip it to another investor or another buyer before you know your contracted closing date. And you just make a profit on the spread between your acquisition contract price and the sales price to your end buyer. We did an episode probably 2014-ish, long time ago, uh, with Jay Massey on this, episode 79. If you want to scroll back uh, through the archives, you can check that one out. Uh, So real estate wholesaling, another free inventory example. And then the second one was in the software world, and that's software reselling or software white labeling. So in episode 494 last year, Chris Lellini described his multi-six-figure business where the idea is to sell seats to specific software products and tools that already exist and provide a layer of support and consulting in the middle. Basically, he would you know buy access to these tools at wholesale rates and resell them at retail rates and profit on the spread. But you wouldn't necessarily have to go out and buy your own licenses to those software tools until you already had a customer ready to go. Definitely an interesting one with a lot of the benefits of SaaS, software as a service, in that you can get recurring revenue, you can have strong profit margins without the upfront development expenses and potentially without a lot of the technical ongoing maintenance and support as well. Again, episode 494 to go check that one out. I guess we're up to 12 on this list now. Uh, But the bottom line is with a little creativity, a little persistence, you can make something out of nothing or make something out of almost nothing. Side hustles don't have to have high startup costs, I think, as these examples illustrate. And in just about every example, it comes down to providing some sort of helpful service, solving somebody else's problem, and then making a margin on that service. Your listener-only bonus this week is my list of the best items to flip for a profit. You can download that for free at the show notes for this episode. Just follow the link in the episode description and you'll get right over there. Big thanks to all my guests who contributed sound bites over the years for this compilation. We went back eight, nine years for some of those. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're finding value in the show, the greatest compliment is to share it with a friend. 
Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.